0: Okay. Hi, everybody. What day is it today? It's Friday, of course. Uh, what's the date? It is January 10th, 2020. huh? Our second one of 2020. Here we are. And uh, this is the uh, Luke Thomas live chat. Appreciate you guys watching uh, and all that good stuff. Uh, so yeah, we'll get to all of your questions that you guys had left yesterday. We'll go for about an hour and some change. And so without further ado, let's get this started, shall we? As always, give the video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel here. Hold on. Subscribe to the channel here. I always appreciate that when you do. Um, uh, I always give this disclaimer. This is supposed to be free. If you do, in fact, leave a donation, I will try to get to your question at the end. But uh, certainly they're not mandatory. I don't want anyone to feel like they're mandatory that you have to do this uh, to pay. Um, Far from it. I want everyone to be able to participate when you you can. So, uh, appreciate donations, but they're not required. Okay? Alright, um, I'm getting a haircut tomorrow because I look like I've been uh, embedded in a homeless encampment. I suspect it will not come as um, terribly shocking news to you that I have uh, not slept last night. My daughter got up at, well it wasn't too bad to be honest with you, my daughter, daughter got up at 5, and uh, which is well, usually that's before her normal waking time. So I tried to put her back down at 7.30, she didn't want it, and then uh, 8.30 she did, and then we have a nanny, so took a bit of a nap, but I feel better, but uh, I still look like uh, living death. All right, nobody cares. Let's just get on to the live chat, shall we? All right. First question, who do you have in the Whitaker versus Cannoneer fight, my dude? Ooh. Man, that's a very, very, very tough one. Um... Huh. Um, I'm not sure. Probably, probably Whitaker. It's a very tough one. Uh, Cannoneer has looked amazing since going to middleweight. I think we can all probably agree with that. He's looked unbelievable. Uh, and, you know, Cannoneer, excuse me, Whitaker didn't have, yeah, Cannoneer since going to middleweight. Whitaker did not have his best outing against Adesanya. Although the the thing that sort of stuck out to me was that he didn't look like he was terribly out of place. Like, um, a people thought he won the first round. I think that's very debatable, but that this serves the point of, of this one. That he didn't look like terribly out of sorts. It, it looked like a classic Robert Whitaker game in, in terms of its implementation early. Anyway, it's just that Adesanya had all the answers that he needed to have. Uh, but he didn't look like he was like. It's like wow, Whitaker doesn't look. look. You couldn't watch that and say to yourself, wow, it didn't look like himself. Plus, he'd been off for all that time, you know? Cannoneer has lost some surprising ones. If you actually go through his record here, the one that stands out most to me is the one that's probably not relevant, which was when he fought Glover Teixeira, and Glover was just bigger and better on the ground. Glover's very technical on the ground, and so that, to me, does not seem to be one you could, like, look at. Uh, Also, he fought Sean Jordan in... uh, uh, UFC 182, and that was at heavyweight, right, so he lost that one, comes back, beats Cyril Asker, and then uh, Kutsi Labo when he debuts at light heavy, then he fought Glover, Glover was just too much, then he fought uh, Nick Ro Rorick, Rerick? Rerick? I'm not sure how you say that, uh, demolished him, then he lost to then he lost to Jan Blahovich and then he got finished fast by Dominic Reyes and then, then then he moved down, you know. One wonders about the hand speed maybe of uh, Whitaker giving Canonneer some problems, some of the movement in and out. You know, physically he's all there. I, I, I you know in terms of his strength, his power, his cardio, he seems to look phenomenal down there. Um, he has not been to the third round yet since going to middleweight, but. Nevertheless, uh, he's looked he's looked quite rejuvenated, and, and, and more than just rejuvenated, like appropriately situated. We talked about it before. It's like you would think that these athletes who are so in tune with what makes them good, who are so in tune with what makes them tick, would know the right weight for themselves. But um, sometimes even fundamental considerations like that take time to figure out. And uh, he finally did. Still, though, Hermanson was a con- was a consequence of lo- there's a lot of ground nullification. Um, Some good boxing, good finishing instincts. The Silva leg kick one, I'm not sure what you can really read into that. And then David Branch, he just ran over him. That was a good one. I guess I would still lean towards uh, Whitaker. I guess I would still lean towards Whitaker. But Kananier is, if nothing, capable of uh, nothing else. Excuse me. Certainly capable of dramatic surprise. And uh, it appears that everything is coming together in his life and in his game. At 185 pounds, so I I would consider that one to be very 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 competitive. Yeah. Sorry, getting a cup of my uh, coffee. It's my first coffee of the day. I apologize. All right. Uh, what is the most constructive criticism that was given to you by someone you admired or respected? That's a great question. Um. Uh, man, hard to know where to go wrong with this one. Um boy, a lot of different directions I could go. You know what? I will go with uh something that I've heard from a couple of different people. Um and I've heard it in different forms. Uh but um you guys have all heard the famous what is it, adage which is Frank Luntz's version is it's not what you say, it's what people hear, or um, it's one version of it. A different, a somewhat different version is, um, you know, people will treat you the way you make them feel, right? It's not, it's not so much about what need per se that you service, rather than um, your likability is often a strong function of the way people feel when you talk to them. This will not come as a surprise to many of you, I'm sure, but I come across as rude sometimes. Yes, often. Standoffish. Uh, You know, elitist. Uh, Smug, whatever description you want to use. Sometimes, yes, I'm trying to be intentionally hurtful. Um, But I will be honest with you. You can believe this or not believe this. I'm trying to answer the question as forthrightly as I can. There is a. There are many instances where I am literally I have not not even a shred of malice or ill intent, and uh, sometimes the people, especially in my personal life, I will speak to, and they will detect that I. It feels that way to them, even when I'm not trying to be that way. So one thing I've been trying to be, a little bit more alert to, is that, um, you know, look, it's never, and look you know the the extent to which I have failed in this regard is probably overwhelming, but i'm just I'm trying to be honest um I've tried to be a little bit more attuned to uh how I might sound, especially when meeting like you know someone for the first time or um uh you know I'll tell you, I'll, for example that one of the lessons I've learned from trying to make my points about anti doping is i you mean know, I've kind of pressed the brakes on on making some points in public. In part because, you know, I'm not sure exactly what else there is to say at the current moment. But the other one is that I have a big regret about the way I did it. I was so angry about everything. I was so – I couldn't believe people were making these, like, ridiculous arguments in favor of just, you know, not uh, overrunning the rights of athletes, of not understanding the the levels of – you know holes in their argument when you make a claim about what an advantage PEDs provides, and then you argue in va- in, in favor of other totally ridiculous, unfair advantages that to- absolutely destroy any notion of a level playing field, and that's just considered common and fine. You know, it just I just couldn't believe where we are on this. And the reality is, I've said before, my prediction on all this anti doping stuff is basically going to be that uh, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. They're going to criminalize this to a large extent this will take time and then i think once people realize that criminalizing this also is not the answer perhaps there is a different one i think by that time you might see although that seems a little bit too out there in conan o'brien in the year 2000 kind of thing you might see some gene manipulation early uh which w- would undercut the need for the, the use of or the, the search for drugs look the point being is this my big regret about it all was that I went out there it was you know fucking fire and brimstone, and it's fun to like do that sometimes and let yourself out. It's just not a very convincing way to get people to your position. I mean, I think I raised some visibility for some of the points that I made, but you know you got to understand how people might perceive that kind of a thing. And um, so I'm just gonna pump the brakes on it for a while. I'm gonna wait my turn for the right moment to I think re-energize this debate, but. Uh, there's a piece of constructive criticism. It's that uh, sometimes um, whatever the merits of my arguments, and there may not be any to the argument merit, there may be, may be totally bankrupt, but let's assume that there even is a little bit, that's going to get lost if people find you to be just sort of yelling in their face. It's going to get lost if uh, people perceive you to be just sort of a, an unlikable character. And to, to some extent, man, there's nothing I can do about some of this. But I am at least aware that it's a problem, and I'm aware that um, I, I'm, I'm trying to be better about getting out in front of it. But that's been a big issue for me. I, you know, my intuition is always like, you know, rain down fury upon them. But but uh, turns out that a lot of people don't respond to that. So, but that's my fault. I can't blame anybody. I completely did that to myself. So, what are you gonna do? All right. With the Reebok deal ending at the end of the year, is there a realistic option that truly benefits the UFC and the fighters? What kind of uniform policy would you like to see implemented? Um Yeah, yeah there is. Uh, okay, so there's a couple there's a few different ways this could go. One is, I don't know how you guys feel about Reebok as we get to this last year. Uh, of the deal. Um, maybe they re sign with them, maybe they don't. Reebok lost CrossFit. And to me, I don't know exactly what other properties Reebok has, but I thought CrossFit at the time and, and UFC were their biggest, um, were their biggest partners. Uh, if they lose them, I'm not sure who else they have at that point that would be a not- noteworthy name. Maybe, maybe there's somebody. I'm, I'm not suggesting that there's not, but it's not, it's not immediately obvious to me. So that's the first part. The second part is, um, now that we're in this last year of the deal, I have to tell you, I have found, like, you know, you can get on them for the Giblert stuff, which was just bad. But if the, if the project was as rushed as they say it was, a Giblert here or a, you know, an Anderson Aldo there, it, which was another kit they printed, uh, that was inevitable. I mean, that was just going to happen. They were just, you can't get that much stuff that ready that quickly and do it effectively. It's just not going to happen. So even, like, while it's not forgivable, it kind of is. But that really is not what stands out to me about them. You know, I actually went to uh, a Dick's Sporting Goods. They're, they opened up one in the city of all places. Um, they usually don't open, like, huge brick-and-mortar spots like that inside the city limits. Anyway, they did. It's by the, uh, in, over in Northeast, and I went over there, and uh, I, they, were, they had a bunch of Reebok, like, uh, gym uh, apparel on sale. So, like, you know, let me buy some. So I bought some sweatpants, socks, whatever uh, and some sweatshirts and about some, some like, I sh- uh, think of the whole gamut shirts, shorts, the whole bit, I gotta say, I found it to be really good. I found the gear to be comfortable. I found it fit. Well, I found myself going back to it over other choices that I often had when I had to like pick what I was going to wear for, you know, that day's activities or whatever. I, I consistently liked it. And granted, I, I got stuff that was, um, simple and, uh, you know, simple, yeah, universal in function, like a pair of sweatpants is sort of simple, but also it could do a lot right And I didn't get a lot of crazy colors, you know, black here, white there, red there, blue there, you know, that kind of a thing, solid tones. And I found it to be great. Like, I would absolutely buy that stuff again. I think when it comes to making something functional, they're probably good at it. I think when it comes to making something simple, plain, which, by the way, is not a bad thing. Simple and plain is okay. Um, They're good at it. I I really enjoy their stuff. I I, I would absolutely buy more Reebok gear. Maybe probably not shoes, uh, but, you know, from the ankle to the neck or something, yeah, sure. But what I've found that they are just incapable of getting right. That's just that it's just not in their company DNA, and they can't do it. Uh, and I'm not saying other companies do it flawlessly because none of them really do, but some do it better than others. Dude, Reebok cannot do creative. It's just not. It's just not who they are, man. And uh, I think at this point. There's just no other conclusion you can draw. Dude, the guy, uh, Judd uh, Lively, who does all of my logos, he'd run circles around them in terms of design, aesthetic, and capability, and intrigue, uh, and uh, detail, and messaging, and he could do it all by himself, much less a team of donks out there. Um they, it, it, whoever is hiring over there or whoever they've got, I'm sure they are well-intentioned and maybe they've got other talents in design that they're good at. And maybe this is not the the best outlet for that creative expression. I, I don't know I, who knows what limits UFC is putting on it. God only knows, man. But in terms of what has been the deliverables to market, it's just not very creative. It's just not done very well. And, um, I don't know. I don't know how you could argue against that at this point. People are like, oh, the style bender shirt from what was it, one or two fights ago? He did. Okay, that was better than most things. I'll agree. Uh, you know, sort of like a play on the Matrix with the different like positions that Neo was in as he was dodging bullets on the rooftop in the first Matrix. Fine, but you know, it's a little derivative and it, it wasn't all that great. And like that S O G one they had for Yoel Romero was terrible. Like, dude, I'm telling you, the one guy who does all my stuff, he would smoke them, man. He, if it was a contest had like you know person by person he would he would run over them Do, uh, I, I made you know inadvisably we took it down after like a few hours but we made those Nate t shirts or the dollar and it was one where he was smoking the uh, the joint on live TV or whatever it was the CBD c- cigarette and we put it on the one uh, the100 dollar bill and then had all these little Easter eggs inside the100 dollars bill dude, he smokes those people it's not even close bro it's not even close and that's one dude man and he's very very talented obviously but um it's just not they're not it's not part of their corporate dna and it's not part of their reliable deliverable deliverable uh you know product uh, to market it just they can't do it so you're asking um Is there a realistic option that truly benefits the UFC and the fighters? That's entirely up to the UFC if it's going to benefit the fighters. You know what kind of stands out to me about it is you're seeing some other organizations, sort of the smaller ones, obviously, but they're getting involved in it. Now, Bellator has been hands-off about it, which has been, I think, very smart for them. It's a very smart play to just not worry about that, which, you know, as you can tell, it just totally undercuts the UFC's argument about its necessity. Uh, And frankly, it's upside value. Um Again, though, this is the whole part about Usada. It's like we're going to go after Reebok, and Usada has the same, the same uh, introduction to the sport without the sign-on of the fighters. But we're going to hammer Reebok and not Usada. Okay, not going to get back into it. Um, but Titan FC has done it. PFL does it, and what they do is they have a uniform, so to speak, or a kit or a top and a bottom, like a rash guard on your shorts, and then there's like a PFL logo, like this would be like the polo logo. But then. They give you space in real estate to do other sponsorships. Right? Is this thing? Hang on. There we go. A little bit better. It gives you space in real estate to do other sponsorships. Um, what if UFC just did that? Part of me, I gotta be honest with you, part of me feels like if the UFC said, you know what, we're just gonna do our own kits. And we'll do it like, you know, not not to borrow from PFL, but they'll do something along the same lines of the PFL where you can just put stuff on there in a coordinated, controlled way. Like, you know, they're not going to allow guns and ammo sponsorships, but you can put your coffee on there. If you got a, you know, a, a, a Metro PCS, whatever, they'll let you have it. Uh, my hunch is the fighters would just take it. I mean, they, the fighters just took it when they took everything away. So what would make them be any different if they just said, "All right, well, you know, we'll meet you halfway. We'll put the UFC stuff on there. We'll take a cut of your sponsorships too. They might do that too. You know, God only knows. The, the fighters would just take it. So it's like benefit the fighters. The UFC has no incentive to do that. I mean, the Reebok deal was a lot of bad publicity, so it, they probably want to not do something that sparks such um, media and backlash and uh, you know that kind of a thing, but. That's a fairly easy needle to thread. All they have to do is just give a little bit back. And the fighters will be like, okay, all right, this is fine. I can live with that. So, you know, my hunch is that in the end, um, you'll go that direction. Could another brand come on board? Like an Under Armour or whoever, I suppose. But they're probably going to look at this and be like, Jesus Christ, like Reebok got hammered. And the other part would be, you know, uh, part of the reason Reebok got hammered was because I don't think anyone ever complained about the fit. I mean, some of the Reebok stuff for women was not functional enough. Um, that that part was true but like in general over time the fit was never the issue it was just how much were you making and um, you know was this like how do you not have Bryce Mitchell's camouflage which apparently if you guys didn't know this they sent him a mock-up and it was uh, he said it looked like tie-dye he said it was so bad he couldn't even like he he didn't even want to bother with it you know how do you how do you you fuck up camo Um, you know you might find somebody who can do much cooler things like, let's say they got an Under Armour, and Under Armour just had really amazing, sleek, cool designs. And it was basically the same deal. The fighters might not rebel. But they would have to be either something of a ratcheting up in quality or uh, uh, or um, aesthetic look or something. And then there would have to be that or a subsequent um, relaxation of the rules to make fighters happier. Otherwise, you know, if you did the same thing over again... You probably, I don't think any brand wants to get the kind of publicity that Reebok has gotten for this deal over the past. I mean, they've gotten so much free advertising, and that part's been, obviously, not free advertising. I mean, they have paid for it. But, I mean, uh, you know, every fighter's wearing Reebok for every fight, every time. That has obviously been pretty good for them, I'm sure. But on the other hand, the amount of just absolute blowback that they've gotten has been probably incredibly discouraging. So they'll either go with another brand that can do something that will, all they have to do is just, you know show some flash. I think the fighters won't say anything. Or like, you know what, we'll make... Because before there was UFC-branded apparel. They can just make them wear UFC-branded apparel. Here, put your beef jerky ad on it. Put your, you know, put your uh, Mitsubishi South Coast ad on it, and then we'll call it a day. All right, what is the scariest, worst, most terrible thing you've seen on the DC Metro? I take the green line from Branch Ave. Oh, I bet you do, player, to Gallery Place and jump on the uh, the red to Bethesda. Jesus, you go from Branch Ave. to Bethesda. Wow. Let me explain this. Uh, Branch Avenue is in P.G. County, which is um, uh, it's where Kevin Durant is from. It's it's the it's a Maryland county right out like literally right outside D.C. and it is. Uh, it's sort of historically known for being crime-infested. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. Um, and not great. And then you go to Bethesda. Bethesda's one who's, like, super posh. It's, you know, you know. oh, we're next to the uh, Bugatti dealership with the Cartier down the street, you know. Uh, I'm convinced the worst humans on the East Coast ride <laughs> DC's Metro's red line. Appreciate the chat. Uh, never changed, Luke. Okay, well, that's a hell of a commute, my man. That is from one world to another. Um... So when I first moved back to DC, I didn't have any money. Well, here's the thing. I had taken a good job, but you guys ever been broke before? You're broke and then you have a new job. Six months into the new job, like your paycheck feels better, but you know, you still have like maybe debts you got to pay off or you still just feel mentally poor or like the, the reality of your life changing hasn't quite caught up with you yet. So that's where I was. I, uh, I live in D.C. now. I've been in D.C. in the, this house since 2006. I eventually was able to save and buy a home. So what I did was, when I moved back, I was living in New York City. I moved back to D.C. I lived in uh, Oxon Hill, Maryland. Uh, remember, that dude, remember that story about the dude in the Popeyes who got stabbed up for the sandwich? like they, they cut the line and they just, they just stabbed the dude. So I was like, they were like, Oh, this took place in Oxon Hill, in Maryland. I was like, I wonder how close that was to my old place. So I went to Google maps and I pumped in the, uh, the, uh, the old, my old address. And then that place Point four miles, 0. 0.4, <laughs> 0.4 miles. I could walk it in five minutes and be down there. I was like, wow, thank God I'm not there anymore. Anyway, that place was so fucked up. Uh, but I was broke. And, um, uh, what, what, what metro stop did I get off at? Was it Congress Heights? It was right off Indian Head Avenue. If you know anything about DC, um, in any event, this was uh, this was uh, on the PG County side, right outside DC. I wouldn't say it was super like most terrible thing. The most terrible thing I saw were a, a couple fighting over a kid in the New York City subway. And the train was trying to close the doors and the dad was in the subway car and the mom and like the brother or whatever were in the, they were on the platform and they were pulling the kid apart, you know, God, that was awful, dude. We, 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 a bunch of us intervened. It was really terrible. I've never seen a shooting. I've never seen a stabbing. I've seen a million fistfights, but those don't really, those don't really, um, the one with the kid bothered me big time, but I'll tell you, this one's actually, you'll like this one. You will like the story. So I used to get off, I'm trying to see, what was the name of the um, Green Line Metro stops? What was the name of this stop? It's been so many years now that I cannot remember. Uh, It was long before they intersected with the yellow. It was, let's see, Branch Avenue, Suitland, Naylor. Yeah, it was Suitland. It was Suitland. Uh, I would get on in Suitland. That was my Metro stop. And I remember, if you've ever been to that Suitland Metro stop, if memory serves, the um, the parking lot is huge. It's like enormous parking lot, right? It looks like you're parking at FedEx Field, for crying out loud. It's enormous. And I remember that there was, you know, people are always jockeying for position. And uh, I, had, I was looking at a radio station at the time. And um, I remember it was, uh, I was, I had to be there at noon, so I would park at 10 when a lot of spaces would open up. And uh, a lot of people would do the same thing. And I remember these two people were trying to pull into the spot at the same time, and one was clearly there before the other one. So they nearly they nearly crash, but the one who was there got to pull in eventually, you know, with honking and flipping the bird and everything. And uh, the lady who had pulled in, she was the one who was rightfully there. She we're all we're all the way in the back of the uh, the parking lot. I mean, it's it's a you, you could walk. It's like from my house to that old Popeye's. Like, it's a walk. It'll take several minutes before you get to where the buses are pulling in. And I'll never forget this. The lady who was the one who pulled in appropriately, she got out of the car. Uh, It's two African-American ladies. She got out of the car. She looked like she had an office job. She looked like about as normal, you know, middle-class America, whatever you want to say. Just, Just looked like a person you wouldn't, you know, would blend in on the metro. You wouldn't even think twice about it you know, uh, purse, nice clothes honor, business. Yeah. Uh, okay. The other person who was trying to pull in, I mean, I'm just gonna say this as nicely as I can did not appear to be gainfully employed. Um, and did not appear to have a lot to lose in life. So what she ends up doing is just pulling over, like didn't turn the hazards, just like almost like ghost riding the whip. She just pulls the car over in the middle of a road. Uh, you know uh, inside the parking lot and gets out and starts harassing this like lady who clearly has an an office job yeah and uh and is now at the point where she's getting closer and closer remember this is a long walk and then starts to like get in front of her and like is trying to stop her and this lady the normal lady is doing everything in her power to not uh, not escalate she's like stopping you know, not saying anything back, trying to walk around, you know, and it's getting harder and harder because she's getting closer and closer. And then she's starting to like, you know, flinch and stuff like that till finally, right before, maybe I want to say 15 feet before they get to the beginning of where you're, you know, you're going to get on the, the escalators to, or, you know, slide your car and get on the escalators to, uh, to board the train. Uh, the, the crazy lady punches her in the back of the head Hard. Like, it stumbled uh, the normal lady forward. And uh, I was like, oh, shit, here we go, right? So, you know, my rule on Street Fights is this. I don't know how y'all feel about it. My rule is I'm going to watch, and I'm just going to let it play out. And, I'm you know, I won't intervene unless I feel like there's a moral imperative to do that. You know, if someone's getting really abused, you'll jump in. If it's a kid, you know, they're getting mugged, you'll jump in. If it's two people of a similar size and age range... I'm gonna let that play out a little bit, <laughs> right? I'm not trying to be everyone's hero, okay? So I'm watching, and I'm like, "How is this gonna go?" And so, cause once she once she punches the lady, then she does that whole squaring up thing. Dude, this was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life, bro. The lady, the normal lady who was punched in the head, stumbles forward, and all, a bunch of her shit spills out of her purse. Cause, dude, she hit her, she hit her hard, man. I didn't even notice this. Then the other lady squares up and is like marching down on her. The lady with the the normal lady, I guess, I didn't see it, but she had reached into her purse, and she had a huge container of mace. And right when that crazy lady came up, she turned, she whipped right around and just hit her point blank, dude. And and not only that, once the lady got hit, she was, like, backing up, you know, like, ah, like a witch when the, you know, when like Dracula when the sun comes out. She's, like, oh, backing up. And then the other lady is, like, N- now, like, 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 like round 10 of Mayweather McGregor marching her down, okay? Like up in her face. Like, I've been, if you've been in the Marine Corps, you had to get maced before. Some people get the tear gas, but there are certain courses you can do where they strip and just they mace you. you it's so bad, you have to manually bat your eyelid, okay? And then you have, they make you finish this obstacle course. It's a nightmare. Your face hurts instantly. Dude, she put on more mace on this one lady's face <laughs> than I've ever seen, dude. I mean, she must have emptied the tank on her. It went on for like 30 seconds of just unbridled macing. And I'm like, at that point, I was like, whoa. Then she drops it, goes back. The lady over there is just writhing in agony. The lady goes back to her purse, collects her shit. The one who was maced somehow, to her credit, was still kind of jibber-jabbering about it, like, F you, bitch, bitch, I'll kill you, da-da-da-da-da-da. The the nice-looking lady goes back with her purse and then begins to bludgeon this woman. Hard, dude. Like, when it was landing, you were like, oh, fuck. I, I don't know what was in that... I don't, know if she, I don't know if she was... Dude, it looked like that, the way she was hitting her, it looked like she was on the way to, like, bowling practice. And she had the don't... No one fucks with the Jesus bowling ball from uh, Big Lebowski in that ball, bro. And she was... I mean, she was... She was going to work on this lady. At that point, even I was like, okay, enough is enough. And I think other people were all like, kind of closing in like, okay, lady, your point is made. Dude, after she was done just beating the bejesus out of this lady, she picks up her stuff. I think a few more things have fallen out of the purse and the whole, you know, melee. Picks it back up, tucks it under her arm as she had before she was going and goes right on about her business. Gets on the train (laughs) and went off to wherever she was at and left this person who dude here's my rule in life if you're trying to fuck with somebody do not be surprised when you succeed rule number 1 man rule number 1 if you are if you are if your stated goal is to fuck with people and someone in particular in a particular exchange and and you elicit the response that you were eliciting you know i didn't i mean i felt bad for her at the end there cuz she had just taken in you know an enormous amount of abuse but like in terms of the moral righteousness of it i almost saluted that lady you know cuz she dude she was right to take the parking spot she didn't antagonize a she didn't say a word to this lady i don't even think she made eye contact with her um until she got punched in the back of the head and you punched her in the back of the head. And, and you want to talk about taking an L in front of everyone? Wow, dude. That is one of the great beatings I've ever seen in my life, man. And it was, and it was so pure, too. It was like pure, uncut, Walter White crystal meth, man. Because, you know, what could you say? She did everything possible to get, her to, to, to get this lady to fight her. And, you know, you mess with the bull, you get the horns, man. So this is my that's why I'm always on street fights. It's like, dude, you do not know who is tough out there. You do not know. You think you know, you do not know. Um, and rule of thumb, that lady who beat the other lady's ass looked about as unassuming as possible, and she went to work on her. And through, you know, it wasn't like through, you know, it wasn't like she was watching Anderson Silva tapes. She just pulled out the mace and went, you know, let's we're gonna we're, we're gonna skip steps one, two, three, and four. We're gonna go right to ten. And we're going to hold it there until you're balled up, writhing in agony. And then I'm going to bludgeon you with the purse that must have weighed. I was like, what is in that purse, lady? Kettlebells? Like, what are you hitting with her that makes that noise? Uh, <laughs> but But, you know, and I went about my day the rest of the day. I was like, wow, I just saw like an unbelievable, an unbelievable beating. And I don't feel bad about it. Not that bad. A little bad. Not that bad. Dude, she asked for it. What do you want me to say, man? So there you go. That's my one story from the Suitland Metro. Don't fuck with people, man. Like, if you lost a parking spot, you know, they didn't hit your car, go find another parking spot. These are not people to play with. All right. Which is more underrated, Cowboys wrestling and groundwork or Connor's takedown defense? I feel like the answer will determine the match we'll get to see on the 18th. Connor did a wonderful job keeping the match standing uh, on Diaz 2. and even with Khabib, people tend to forget how many takedown attempts he blocked. We can actually check that in both cases. Um, but hold on, let me answer the question here. There go, made off. Um, so let me close this up. So what is what is uh, more underrated? Connor's wrestling and groundwork well let's leave it aside from groundwork let's leave it at cowboys wrestling and Connor's takedown defense because groundwork I'm not sure what that means because his groundwork can I mean it can mean a bunch of different things do you mean his guard do you mean his ability to hold and pass do you mean his ability to fight from turtle and then take the back they're all distinct skills so let's just talk about takedowns versus takedown defense how about that um, if you go and watch Cowboy right around the time of the WEC fights, what you'll find is that his guard has always been good. It's just it's just been a consistent mainstay for him. To an extent, you wonder why he didn't build more around it, except the guard is not thing, a thing you really want to build around, plus I think he wants to strike, so okay, fair point, but still. It's very, very good. Um, and his takedown defense was okay, and his wrestling was, I don't know, not remarkable. Now if you look at it, his guard is as good as ever. I think his back taking has gotten better, certainly a little bit more pronounced in 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 the latter, you know, since 2016 or so. Um, No, that's not quite true, but I I feel like it's a little bit better. But the point being is, um, his offensive wrestling—that's the one that has really just taken another level up. So, uh, what is more underrated, Cowboy's wrestling, or let's say, or takedowns versus Connor's takedown defense? Well, to be candid with you, they're both pretty underrated. I mean, I've said this about Connor a million times, guys, and I really believe it to be true. The, the, um, Conor, it, it's, it's virtually impossible to get an accurate read on him. In part because he switched weight classes, he's on his third one, that makes it a little bit difficult. He's taking time off, that makes it a little more challenging. But the reality is, dude, the people around him talk about him like he's a North Korean dictator. Like, oh, my, you know, like Kim Jong Kim Jong Il doesn't poop. He, you know, he uh, he did an eighteen course, uh, eighteen hole golf course, and well, eighteen holes in one. You're like, okay, all right. They talk about him like that, you know. And then his critics are like, oh, he's got no ground game. He sucks. He ain't shit. And it's like, well, both of you are just completely out to lunch. Um, Connor's takedown defense, I'd say it's pretty good. I'd say it's pretty good. What do I mean by that? I mean, um, against most attempts, which we'll talk about as, let's say, um, let's talk about penetration steps under for doubles and singles, under punches, uh, let's say not against the fence. He has one or two levels of defense. Someone who can chain together attempts is going to have a little bit more success than somebody who doesn't. Against the fence, I feel like his takedown defense is very good. He's very hard to take down once he's flat against it. And you're gonna be like, well, Habib did it. Well, okay. Habib does that to everybody. But um he, you know, Eddie Alvarez couldn't couldn't even sniff a takedown against him. And Eddie's a very good wrestler, including against the fence. And he's got Connor's got good down blocking. What is down blocking? You ever seen when guys are like, you know, shadow boxing? and then they sprawl and they put their hands down and they'll drop their hips that's down blocking essentially. I mean down block is a little bit different in collegiate wrestling um, where you can do it with one hand and then put your opposite leg back. So if you drop your right hand you put your left leg back. It's called down blocking or essentially you just you create a barrier before the for, to stop the shot essentially before it really ever gets to your hips because you get your hips back, you get your leg back, you get your arms in front, create you create a little blocking mechanism. But by MMA standards, I think he has good down blocking. Um so the question for Cowboy is the one thing that's really gotten good about him is his timing and his explosion on his takedowns is pretty good and now he's added angles to him so like he doesn't run the he doesn't run the double straight back he turns at an angle uh I tend to think that of the two if Connor is not tired that should be plenty of takedown defense if he is tired I don't think that it is so um which is just to say the following Cowboy is probably not that great at chaining together you know, going from a single to a double to a high crotch to an ankle pick to a to a knee tap, whatever, he he's not necessarily all that adept at it. He's got one good one, maybe one or two ones he can switch off to, and that's really about it. After that, he'll just abandon it. It's not that much of a, a combative priority to him, and I think under those considerations, Connor should be able to defend it. If it if Connor gets tired, his down blocking gets late, and he begins to he you can see he begins to make. Choices about the conservation of energy, like okay, I am gonna not fight this here, so I can fight that there. And once you begin to make those kinds of calculations, um, things go can tend to go badly for you. So I would say, as long as Connor has good good energy, uh, he should be should be fine. But Cowboy could, I think, mix things up. One of the things that T.J. Dillashaw did against John Lineker that I really like. I think he did some other ones as well. I, and it's, it's actually one of my personal favorites I always loved. As a tall guy, it was really hard for me to to get that knee pound. You know, your knee doesn't have to touch the ground in a double, but, you know, I'm 6'4". Like, it's hard. It's very hard for me to get down. And so if I'm going to get down, I, I really want to commit to it, and I want to be in control on top, which is to say when you shoot the double, your outside leg whips around the back of theirs, and it ends up being a trip, and then you come on top. And then, you know, I like to be, obviously, as a bigger guy, top passing. Um that would be an interesting one if he could if he could find a way to get that. If it's just going to be a straight up double or a single, I like Connor's down blocking when he's not tired to be sufficient. So I think that's the issue. How would you feel about a Kevin Lee versus Justin Gaethje matchup? This seems like a solid option for Justin in case Connor really does get to cut the line at 155. I can't tell you, I don't like the fight cuz it'd be amazing, right? It'd be amazing. Still, man, the thing about it is this. How old is Justin? Oh, real quickly before we move on, uh, how many shots did Dustin stuff? One of eight against Khabib. How many did Connor stuff? He stuffed four of seven. Pretty good, pretty good. But with it, how many oh, there were? He, he got Khabib got one of two in the first round, one of one in the second, which was a terrible round for him. Zero of three, which was a great round for Connor, and then one of one in the fourth. So, yeah, it was that third round that kind of undid. Uh, could be a little bit there in terms of the numbers. But, uh, yeah, he did pretty good. He's, he's got... So, I'm telling you, man, he's got good takedown defense, guys. He's got good takedown defense. But when he gets tired... Like, here's the thing. Who's got better takedown defense, Dustin Poirier or Conor McGregor, dot, 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 when they get tired? I would argue Dustin Poirier does. He has, A, a much better gas tank, and I don't think he... Uh, begins to make choices about like, well, I'm going to not fight this here so I can fight that there. Once you start making those calculations, dude, things get bad for you quick. But the question you're asking is about uh, Kevin Lee. Well, first of all, how old is... I don't know if you guys can hear, my neighbor is mowing his yard in January. Just want to point that out. Where the grass doesn't grow, but okay. Uh, Justin Gaethje 31. Kevin Lee is 27. Yeah, I mean, you can't protect Kevin Lee forever, and certainly... Um, I would look, look, I'd love to see the fight. I think what Gaethje's looking at is something for a step up. So filling in against Tony or Habib against the other one, maybe they do a rematch against Poirier. I'd kind of like to see that one. I think that it's, I think you already got a different Justin Gaethje now. Uh, I'm not saying Dustin wouldn't win a second one, but it'd be a different fight. And, um, I wouldn't hate it, but I also think Kevin Lee's got some rebuilding to do after he had that. That the bad series of losses and then going up the weight class and then still having a loss. The, 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 the rebound against Gregor Gillespie was great. And I'm not telling you he doesn't deserve someone good. Let me look at the rankings. I would just put Kevin Lee somewhere in the order of... Well, do you really want to do a third ally Quintifight? Probably not. Maybe he could get the winner of Felder Hooker. Um... Yeah, maybe, maybe the Gaethje fight's the best one because Cerrone's got McGregor at four and five. Yeah. The the options are either another fight with Ally Quinta, Barbosa's going to 145, Pettis is fighting Carlos Diego Fajera. You could do Charles Oliveira. Maybe that's one you could do, something like that. I still think he needs a little bit more seasoning, man. I still think that. Uh, will Yoel be Israel's most challenging matchup so far? Yoel has good power in his strikes, unorthodox or timing, and presents a grappling threat due to his skill and physical stature. What are your thoughts? Well, I'll say this. I thought that um, Whitaker was going to be an unorthodox and uh, difficult challenge, and he ended up being uh, maybe out of sign his easiest fight outside the Brunson fight. Um, I'll say this. Uh, Look, Yoel presents a very unique set of challenges. You've got a guy who is, uh, you indicated, he is very much about the conservation of energy and then the conservation of uh, his offense, he doesn't go and then doesn't go and then doesn't go and then all of a sudden goes. You know, in his last fight against Costa, you saw a bit more of a two-way fighter. Like against Luke Rockhold, he would just parry shots and block and then slip and then fire back all at one go. Against Costa, you saw him be a little bit less of that. You saw him you know, slip, punch, or block, block, punch, or punch, punch, block, like doing both acts at the same time, which most fighters do, but he had historically made a point of not doing that. So if he's doing that, the back and forth thing, I don't like his chances that much. If he's doing it where he was the old Yoel Romero, again, it's only one fight difference. When I say old, I mean the, the, the traditional way we understand his his developed game. Uh, I like that a little bit more, though. That surprising explosivity, which he appears to still have into his 40s, which is unbelievable. Um, uh, You know, he's not good about ground control, but he is good about uh, connectivity, right? Like, here's one thing: his game should be tailored around. He should try for takedowns and threaten them, and then when they don't work, what he should do is what a lot of guys are doing now with the wrestling, which is uh, putting the hands together. And then just pounding on people, even against the fence. He's very, very heavy handed. um, And he's good at maintaining control in that sense if he wanted to. What he's not good at is like getting your hips to turn over and then keeping you flat and then cross facing you and then controlling the hips and then knee cut path. He's not good at that. Uh, He doesn't, you know, he he has a lot of freestyle, uh, less than folk style rides. Um, but if he can get incorporate some folk some freestyle, excuse me, some folk style ideas about waste control, um, which I'm sure he knows, he just probably just doesn't use, he'd be a bit of a different threat if you ask me. He could be really up on guys a lot. So will it be will it be Israel's toughest fight so far? In certain respects, yes. In totality, I don't know. I'm not saying no, but what I am saying is what I feel very confident in saying is the the um The explosivity, the uniqueness of his offense, the, the, uh, the linear attack he can do in, in short order, the power, the unusualness of the movement, the, the reservation of it all. He's a tough nut to crack, right? He's a tough nut to crack. And uh, again, a lot of those city kickboxing guys in Israel, public chief among them, they're very good at um, you know freezing people or confusing them with their feints. But if all you're worried about is being defensive, you just wait. And then when they extend on a punch... Then you, you know, you go after him. So or whatever, whatever signal you're looking for for whatever attacker that is, that, that could be one among others. Um, he could be in certain respects, but you know, once he gets tired, Adesanya's going to chew him up. Luke, are you attending UFC 249 as part of media, as a fan, or both? Which, of course, will be uh, Khabib versus Tony. My plan is to go as media. That's my plan. My plan is to go as media, which will be in April, of course, at uh, the Barclays Center. Uh, I look forward to that. So, we shall see. I mean, one never knows how life goes, but that's the current plan. What's the next move for Ryan Hall? God, tough. man, what a uh, bad situation he's in. Top 10 opponent. I know he is struggling to get a fight as of late and recently called out Frankie and, and Jose. This surprised me considering they're both looking at 135 as new weight classes. Well, I mean, you know, he's in a this sort of this weird predicament where if you look at 145 right now, where is Ryan Hall sitting at 14? So a couple of guys are his teammates. Arnold Allen is a teammate. Uh, I want to say that Beckditch might be as well. I could be wrong about that, but I know Arnold Allen is because I know Ryan went down there to help him with one of his camps. Um, and I know a lot of other guys have turned him down all the way up the food chain. I know he tried to fill in uh, against Korean Zombie when um, Ortega fell out. I guess Zombie said no. Or maybe UFC said no. I'm not sure, but he tried. He, I mean, he has told me repeatedly. There's been you can't imagine how many times he's been like, "I'm ready, I'm ready. I'll fill in, I'll fill in." Uh, or they offer him a fight, and he's like, yeah, "Sure, I'll take it." And then you know the other person doesn't want it. He's in this weird spot where uh, <clears throat> he doesn't like doing call-outs, He hates it. He's very much a martial artist more than he is the traditional prize fighter, as you understand the term. But I think he's also just like watching the clock tick away and being like, "Well, I don't have an option anymore." Um, you know, he probably picked Jose and Frankie because they've got big names, which you can understand. Um, you know I, I, I don't know, I don't know what the solution is because you're very dangerous. You're totally unorthodox. You're ranked 14. Um, so do the guys inside the top 10 really want to mess with that? And then the guys outside the top 10, he trains with some of them. And then the other ones probably like, what do I get out of beating Ryan Hall, right? Because, yes, it would look great on the resume. You and I would be like, holy shit, that's a great win if you get it. But it's not like he's got a super blown up name just just yet, you know. So, um, it's tough. It's a tough spot to be in, man. Which is why you see him doing what he's doing, because he just can't get fights. And I know for a fact, I've talked with him about it. He has tried repeatedly, repeatedly to say yes to the fights they've offered him uh, or fill in on short notice where there was a real big need, and people just don't want it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is to, for that kind of situation, given the mechanics of how the uFC operates i don't I don't know what the I don't know how you fix that uh okay oof do I want to get into this one what are your thoughts on the recent issues between the USA and Iran and will this all result in a war much love from Northern Ireland um, I really want to wait into that I'll just say um my best friend my very 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 best friend in the world is Iranian. Uh he spoke at my wedding. I officiated his wedding. Um you know, from what I know of the Iranian people, which is truly through him, uh they are an incredible people. They're warm and um funny. Uh you know, both of us bonded because you know my last name's Thomas, but my mom was obviously not from this country, and you know we have immigrant immigrant parents, bro. They just operate on a different level. Like getting a beating from an immigrant parent is like a rite of passage. You know, we, we used to compare beatings that we would get. That's sort of a, a very morbid and uh, maudlin way to describe things. But anyway, um, uh, I'm. It appears that the. It, I don't want to say too much about this because I know a lot of you really don't want to hear this kind of stuff. So I'll just say this. It appears that... I know what I'll say. It appears that the worst might be over. I certainly hope so. Um, that airliner being shot down is an, an enormous tragedy, whatever the circumstances of that may be, which in, could include uh, Iranian military incompetence. Um, let me just pl- make a plea on behalf of everyone. Sometimes war is necessary. Sometimes it's just you got... Like, man, like that lady. and It's sort of a very... Uh, cheap comparison, but the lady who got punched in the back of the head at the uh, Suitland Metro did sometimes man you just find it on your doorstep and what are you supposed to do um, but I will tell you being in the marine Corps was uh it was uh, interesting for a lot of reasons one because you know your friends all have to go i can 't say how many friends I saw uh, my unit I got out in December of two thousand four, and my unit got converted to a rifle company that did prisoner transport in Fallujah like two three months later. Uh, the reason why I never got sent was because I was part of Marine Corps artillery. If you guys know anything about that, it's a redundant service essentially to what the Army already has. The Army has Fort Sill; they've already got this huge artillery component. It's the Marine Corps has had it because under older World War II battle considerations, hey, it's an amphibious force; they should have all the things that the Army has, just condensed. And now it's sort of like, well, what do we what does what does the Marine Corps need artillery for? I think there still is Marine Corps artillery, but it's when I was in, they were phasing it out, or at least. It was it was decreasing in its level of um, uh, prominence, but hold on, let me so make sure everything is okay. Yeah, um, so one, you know, when your friend comes back and uh, you know he's a total like a, a buddy of mine, um, he now works at the State Department. He was a grunt, and they had set up inside of a soccer stadium in uh, Iraq. They had. You ever go to a bank? Right, and you have to walk through all the lines to get to the front of the bank. I think Kevin James has a whole bit about it, where you have to walk through like five lines of like you know, or the DMV or something. They had set one of those kinds of things up, obviously a much bigger one, so that when cars came through, if one was try, if there was some kind of an issue and it tried to like storm the gates, it would have to weave. And I think they had cement blocks everywhere, so it would have to weave through, in order to, uh, in order to um, cause damage. And I think they had a staging area for everyone back in the, inside the, the soccer stadium. And what he told me was um, the guys who are supposed to be on guard, uh, this, this car comes up and shoots them all, kills them. And so it does, the car does not, no, no, it, oh, no, excuse me. That's not correct. I don't remember the exact. I don't remember the exact part of how this went. He, the story he told me many years ago, but they got through the. the something happened at the initial gate where they didn't stop them, and so now this car is coming through, the 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 bend, and the lights now go off. And my buddy was watching from the, essentially was supposed to serve as not exactly a sniper tower, but there were various positions of security front gate, one along the blockade here, one along the blockade there. And then he had was in this tower. I'm not sure what purpose it served at the stadium, but he was able to look down and he he radioed to the guys at the front, and they were they were screaming bloody murder like something had happened. They were going through. That's that's what it was. And he, this is the point: the car turns the lights off and it goes all the way through. And now people are screaming in Arabic to stop. The guys don't stop; they keep going. And sure enough, it was a car bomb, and uh, it blew up almost as it got. He said to his tower position to the point where it blew him out of the tower. And uh, ruptured one of his eardrums. And uh, they had to wake him up and shit. You know, he didn't have to go. Um, uh, I, don't think, I don't think he had to get flown to Germany for however bad it was. But, um, you know, obviously it was pretty fucked up. Anyway, what he told it knocked him out, the whole thing. And what he told me was um, the only thing they could find from that car, the bomb was so big in that car, and it got detonated just far back enough t- to not cause mass casualty that uh the only thing they could find from the car was the engine block that was it the rest of that whole car was just incinerated in explosives which means if they had gotten any further you know it would have killed a lot of people um when you hear stories like that and then that guy comes home and he became a raging alcoholic he has since uh fixed his life completely he's you know on the straight and narrow but he had a real tough time had another buddy came through Uh, he was an army ranger out there. He had to do two different, three different tours. Um, you know, his translator was murdered, you know, uh, all different kinds of shit. And then he comes through and then one day the post was publishing stories about local guys who had been killed and it was two of his friends and he like burst into tears. It was just awful. And then I'll never forget this man. I've been to both Walter Reed's. There was a Walter Reed that was up sort of in the North part of town and they moved it way out West. And the new one is an incredible facility. I've been out there. And I did a story for, uh, back in the day, UFC magazine. It had nothing to do with UFC, but it was about um, uh, essentially jujitsu for um, service members who had been uh, had, had been amputees. So I went to an amputee jujitsu class, which was taught by a Yamasaki Black Belt, uh, a Venezuelan guy. Um, trying to get a citizenship. Uh, anyway, um, long story short... Um, I had been to both. Man, you know, you want to send people to war? Okay, man, well, sometimes sometimes that is inevitable, yeah? It, it will find you, and you can debate the merits of uh, whether Iran is or isn't. I, I tend to think it is not, but okay. We can have that separate discussion. Here's the only thing that I would ever ask of people. Before you really ever want to commit the resources of that, financial and then, and, and then especially human, you should be in contact with what happens on the other side of it. Uh, all these stories I've been telling you are one thing, but there is one that has to this day, man, it has haunted me. I went, the second time I went to Walter Reed was the new facility for the amputee jujitsu class, uh, that I was doing a story on and all those guys, and there's different levels of amputees, man. I don't want you to feel sorry for all of them. You know, one guy lost his foot, but he ended up being a purple belt. He was really good. There's another guy that was a pretty severe amputee, but he just seemed to have a good attitude about it. And then there were various other ones that uh you know, of some ailments here, maybe a guy lost a hand or something. But um you know, these guys are they're incredibly resourceful um committed um, You know, these are tough people, man. These are really tough people. But dude, there was one was it the old Walter Reed? This must have been 07 or so and I had gone on there just to um uh I like to go and visit the troops so I had gone down there uh you know there's different it's through this mentorship program where you know hey someone is in I had a job in media hey maybe you can mentor you know veterans who want to get out dude there was one kid he was 20 20 uh and he was at Walter Reed which means he was getting the best health care at the time that the the uh, government had to offer its veterans. And, you know, given what the situation was, it was about as good as it was going to get. He was 20 and a triple amputee. And the one hand he had was barely functional. And uh, I guess some someone must have signed him up for this program or whatever because he didn't talk. He didn't want to talk. He didn't give a fuck. Dude, I wish that Robert Frost or somebody could have been with me. And what I mean by that is, I cannot possibly communicate to you the level of despair on this young man's face. I have never in my life seen a depth of sadness like that. And he had, his, his, he had two parents there with him, God bless them, they were doing their absolute best. You could see it on their faces, man, they were wearing it too. You know, dude, this guy, you can tell, man, You can, I don't know what his situation is today, I, I can only imagine, but at 20 years old, this guy had absolutely no will to live anymore, none. It had been, I can't, I, honestly, I don't have command of the English language to communicate to you the the profound sadness that this kid and that's what he was man a kid couldn't even legally drink a fucking beer hat on his face dude when you see something like that and then you know the untold destruction of the places that you go to and the people there who will probably have as many of those stories if not a million times worse at least on the scale of things it's like okay dude if 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 we are going to commit resources to something fine We will commit resources to it. But it better be worth that young man. It better be worth those amputees that I saw trying to live a normal life. The destruction of all those places and all the lives therein as well. If it's worth all of that, then okay. Then it's worth all of that. Then it's time to knuckle up and it's time to go. But until you have seen a 20-year-old triple amputee who has zero will to live and has a look on his face that, what are you going to say to him? What pep talk is there at that point? There is nothing. I, I, maybe someone more capable of me found a way to figure it out. I, I certainly hope, man. I certainly hope. Um, and again, there was, a, there was a double amputee in one of those, um, uh, the jiu-jitsu class. He had lost both of his legs, one pretty far up. Uh, the other one just above the knee the other one was like almost completely gone um, he had a pretty good attitude but one of his hands didn't close he could um, he could like he couldn't make a fist but he could like he could grab this I'm sorry he could grab this like, but he couldn't make a fist you know uh, okay if it's worth that then it's worth that but until you've seen that up front with your own eyes man that will change you that will change your person I mean, I already had pretty good ideas about, you know, the cost of of, of war, but uh, I don't think a lot of people are in touch with that kind of thing. I don't think a lot of people are really. Uh, I don't think, I don't, I don't, unless you've seen what bombs do to people, you know, like both in here and then in, in here and then physically on their body. I mean, th- th- that, whatever happened to him in either Afghanistan or Iraq, I don't, I don't remember what, what the situation was with him. Um, he did not want to live. He did not want to live. And I—you could he, there was no, he couldn't hide it. He, and I, I don't think he was trying to show it either. It was just oozing out of his pores. That was the only thing that had shown life was his desire to not have any. And that hurt so bad to see, to see a person like that, a 20-year-old kid. I mean, this kid had a look on his face like he could have been flipping burgers at a Wendy's, man. You know? So when people are like, you know, we're gonna go, we're gonna go kick some ass. It's like, well, first of all, you better stand the post, number one, and number two, it better be worth it. Better fucking be worth it. All right, uh, what's a governmental policy and program you would like to see enacted in your lifetime? Oh Jesus, what's all these government questions? Well, all right, I'll back up a step off this one. You say cross country bullet train, reduction or expansion of the military, blah blah blah. Let's keep it non political, or at least mostly non political. How about? What's a governmental policy or program you would like to see enacted in your lifetime? There are reasons why it doesn't exist, but I would love to see the addition of rail service throughout the, throughout America. Uh, I love taking the train. Now, granted, I take the train in its most functional state in the United States, which is between D.C. to Philly, Philly to, to um, New York, New York to Boston, that Acela Corridor. That's what they call it. Uh, I I love taking the train. It's great, you know. Rather than having to go to the airport and get finger fucked by TSA, and then you got to land in like LaGuardia or JFK and then take a cab all the way into the city, you know, the train gets out right underneath Madison Square Garden. Literally right underneath Madison Square Garden. So great. I love it. I love everything about it. And I can pick the train up here in the city. It's like city center to city center. I'm there. And if you you get the high-speed train, which I don't very much take, but sometimes you can take it. It's like two hours and 45 minutes. It's like, bam. It's great, dude. Nothing like it. Uh, to the extent, and there's a lot of reasons why it's not, but to the extent that you could do that, at least in, in municipal areas, um, I would love to see the expansion of rail service. But I would say generally this, in conjunction with that. I would love to see a reinvestment in this country in public transportation more generally. Uh, I got to tell you, the less I drive as a person, the happier I become. Now, I know there are people who like to sit in their car roll the windows down and just see the, see the country. Some people like to play books on tape in their car. There are a lot of people who this is not the case for. And if that's the case where you really enjoy that, I wouldn't want to take it away from you. What I would say, though, is there's a lot of people who don't. When you consider, if you commute, how much of your life is spent sitting in a car, it's not good for your mental health. It's certainly not good for your physical health. It's not good for the ability to enjoy your day. There's just a lot of things that are wrong about that. Now, part of the way that the modern corporate America has somewhat helped is that I think a lot of us, relative to like, say, 15 years ago, I think a lot of us telecommute more than we used to. But um, I would say investing in bus services, investing in light rail services to do something that you can, investing in bike lanes in your city, investing in metros where possible. Uh, these are things that aid the working class, they aid the middle class, they reduce congestion. On, again, these have to be planned appropriately, of course, you can't just throw them up there. You have to find the right kind of services and the right kinds of um, you know, municipal planning to do that. But in general, these are great services. They they do put a, a somewhat of an extra tax burden on folks, which I know folks never want to hear, but that's one of those things where it's like sometimes the juice is worth the squeeze. I really believe and it being better for your mental health, i think it's better for congestion on the streets, i think it's better for your physical health, i think it's better for the working poor, i think it's just a better experience in your day, i think it makes cities and the suburbs to an extent more livable, right? But this idea about just getting in your car, driving to a place, going out there getting back in your car driving to a place. Yeah, of course sometimes you have to do that, but like as a way of life, i mean if you live in the suburbs of certain places here in in this area, dude, like you know, the bar you go to is in a strip mall and you have to park out there. And then, you, you know, maybe you got to take an Uber home, then you have to go back the next day to get it if you didn't want to get drunk driving charge. And yeah, it's just a whole nightmare, man. Like, they don't, they, what we did was everyone fled the cities, uh, you know, uh, uh, up, up through, you know, uh, certainly in this part of the country, they left, you know, in the 70s and 80s um, post Martin Luther King's death. And it created some urban blight. And then it was just this replenishment of the suburbs. But they just, they didn't plan. People thought that being in your cars was no big deal. And then all the time, they weren't really as populated. So the traffic wasn't as bad. Well, now look where you are. It's a complete nightmare. Like, dude, People don't like living in their cars for the most part. And to the extent that you can introduce public transportation options, um, I think you help a lot of people. People who don't think they'd be helped, I think that they would. I would really love to see various communities uh, where it makes sense and in the ways it does make sense not everyone can get a metro but um I would love to see a greater effort in public transportation that's something I would really love to see I'd love to see trains more I'd love to see greater bus services I'd love to see a lot of that brought to the forefront all right I've gone on long enough about non-MMA topics today let's see what you donks have for me here on um if you bought anything oops hold on which you don't have to but if you do I like to out of all the young prospects the U.S. men's national team have excluding Pulisic, what player do you think has the most upside? That what, that Josh Sargent kid's pretty good, right? He plays out in Bundesliga. He seems all right. Uh, I forget how to pronounce his last name. Tim Weah. Tim Weah. W-E-H-H, W-E-A-H. He was with PSG. I think they sent him out on loan, but he was okay. Um, Zach Stevens looks like he might have some promise to him. But, I don't know. I don't know. They're so fucking bad. I mean, individually, they might have greater talent than, than teams of years past, but by themselves, golly, like, or rather, um, taken as a, uh, what they've done, it's just they're terrible, terrible, terrible. Okay. Someone says, uh, Luke, I love the live chat. We both have the A7-3, which is what you're watching this on. Uh, did you have to buy and install external hardware into your tower to live stream using the a73 no I had to install um, I had to install some different drivers and I had to install the um, the card where they had four different ports to plug in an HDMI I had to do that which means I had to you know I had to make sure my CPU and my GPU were humming but I didn't have to install yeah I guess hardware yes I did have to install some hardware yeah uh, I thought, I thought for some reason I Thought you had written software software not really no uh, this is just obs live but for um here let's do this for uh hardware i had to put in the i forget the, the exact name of it but the card you slot in on the back of the drive that you have to connect and then it had four different slots so i can run four different cam- cameras not including uh, like a usb port off the hdmi of four hdmi ports in the back that i can run four different camera angles on i've not gotten around to it as you can tell but that's the idea Thoughts on one championship's Adam Waite stamp Fairtex going for her third sport title in MMA? I can't say much about her, folks. I I would be lying if I said I was overly familiar with her game. Seems like women who kickbox instead of wrestle before MMA do better than men who do the same. All the female champs kickboxed before MMA, while Israel is the only one who made kickboxing prior to MMA. I think that leads to... um, I think that's probably a function of the fact that wrestling in women's MMA, and I think general athleticism is a few steps behind the men's game. Because I think if the wrestling was as ubiquitously present and good in the women's game as it was in the men's, you'd see roughly similar, you'd see roughly similar uh, results. But the fact that you you are sort of point out there might be a disparity, I think speaks to the fact that the wrestling and then the then the level of athleticism generally probably not quite as high. Um, let's see. From Piano Mover Jones, Happy New Year from Ireland. You mentioned it in previous live chats. The views on PDs are a reflection of other scholarly work you have read. You reference to materials. Keep swinging the axe. I've referenced them a million times, but you know what I need to do? I need to put together a reader. Um, the, the 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 good place to start on all of this is um, uh, the um, uh, what's a good place to start? The anti-doping crisis in sport by Paul Demio. Dimeo spelled D-I-M-E-O. He's a uh, professor out of the University of Sterling in Scotland. That's a good place to start. Werner Muller is, a, I think, is a professor out of Finland. He's done a lot of good work on this. There's a ton of good stuff. For your own fun, for your own fun, uh, there was a debate between pro PED crowd in sports. Like you ever seen these debates where um, they'll get two groups. One person's like, "We are for PEDs in sports, and we are against PEDs in sports." And what they do is at the beginning of the debate, before anyone has spoken, they poll the audience to see where they're at. Then they re-poll them after the debate to see how opinion has shifted, if at all. And what they did was, I think it's like it's like IQ2 or something is the company, it's something like that. You can just type in um, just type in PED panel debate and you can put in uh, Robert Faust. He's a doctor of the University of Wisconsin, uh, F-O-S-T. He has argued that there's really an incoherent basis by which we decide what things we allow and what things we don't. Which, by the way, he is correct. But in any event, there's a debate. And they had, um, I think, Dave Murphy, previously of the Atlanta Braves, on the anti-PED side. And uh, they had Radley Balco, who you guys might know from years. He's, uh, he's written a lot of stuff on, um, well, a lot of on uh, 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 the Fourth Amendment and um, the rise of, uh, I think he has a book called The Rise of the Warrior Cop," something like that. He's done a lot of work on civil liberties. Anyway, he was on the pro-PED panel, and there was a bunch of them. There was like four aside. I think Julian Sevalescu, who I've referenced before, he was on this panel as well. There's like five parts to it. It's a very fun debate. Even if you don't change your mind one way or the other, just watch the debates. It's, 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 it's cool to see. Will you go to UFC 246? No, I'm going on vacation next week, but I'll still do this live chat. And I'll probably, it's more, I'll be honest, it's more of a working vacation. Uh, I'm being paid to go do some work somewhere which I'll tell you all about about later, but, um, it's not related to MMA. So I'm going to be gone. Um, but I'll probably keep up with the YouTube channel. So you're fine. Uh, let's see. What are your thoughts on Ray Cooper, the third with his wrestling credentials and punching power? Do you think we'll see him in the UFC? You might, you might. I thought that whenever Michaud was nice on New Year's Eve. Um, yeah, he's got, you know, I, I had him in studio. He's not a big kid, but he's got, he's real stocky all, you know, um, he seems like he could, he, I don't know how far he can go, but I think he could beat good fighters. That's, that, that's far enough, maybe. But you know then again, is he going to make the kind of money in the UFC that he's making in PFL? I don't think that he is. Uh, do you think that the UFC would ever go back to allowing fighters to just wear their own gear with their own sponsors? Seems like it's, it's, do, it's, it's possible. It's possible. What do you think about Nate Diaz versus Wonderboy? Can it happen? That is a terrible fight for uh, Nate Diaz. A guy like Nate, who's kind of flat-footed, against a guy like Thompson, who's a natural 170-er who can stick and move. That is an absolutely horrific fight for Nate Diaz, stylistically. Someone says from Murderer's Row, Luke, I love the no-nonsense content that you put out. Did you receive the Murderer's Row hat and shirt? They got sent to the studio, but I never got one. Even though I'm sure you hate the Yankees, I figured it was a nice gesture. 200K in 2020. I certainly hope. I don't know if I can get 83,000 new li- uh, subscribers to the channel, but one hopes. Look, how would history look back on Tony slash fighters, whose climb to the top is super difficult, long, but as a result, they don't hold the belt for long. It would be a cautionary tale in the how to navigate the promoter. I don't know how anyone would use the word machinations, but shit, dude, it is hard to this. It's a it's a real knock of the promoter model. I mean, the PFL to me. I just don't believe long-term what people really want is tournament winners to decide everything all the time. I just don't believe that. I think that tournaments, when they're structured properly or when they just catch fire out of nowhere sometimes, they're great. Who doesn't love them? But all the time, all the time, all the time, to me, that's an overcorrection of the matchmaker model. It's a little bit too much. But what I will say is part of the reason why PFL does try to exist is that there is some problems I should say there are some problems with the matchmaker model. Chief among them is that you got guys like Tony who have been going as long as he has and just can't seem to ever round the corner. Now, I know he was an interim champ for a while. There's been some times where he's been injured. Okay, fair enough. It's not all in the UFC. I, I get it. I understand. But in general, you shouldn't have to go that long in that weight class, um, even even with all the other relevant factors uh, considered here uh, in the way that he has. It's just not fair. It's just not. You can't argue that it's fair fully fair to what he has accomplished. And so you see these corrections in other places. And again, if they if they like that model and it works for them, God bless them. I don't think it's all that great, but you know we'll see. Um, but I think what they would say is it, it wouldn't look bad on Tony per se unless he has like another injury fallout for April. God, please don't let that happen. Uh, but if he makes it there and wins or loses or whatever, it's just a cautionary tale about how hard it can be to navigate the space, even when you're a winner in the matchmaker model Bigfoot Silva versus Nganu would this make Bigfoot retire you know the answer to that come on now um same kind of question as before what do you think of the upward potential of Edmund Shabazian and do you think his striking matches up currently in a fight with a guy like Izzy or even an elite Muay Thai striker like Till let's slow the roll on Shabazian a little bit what is he 21, 22 something like that first of all Armenia Goddamn right um He is, dude, He that dude, if he keeps going, he is going to single-handedly. I mean, I don't know if anyone can rehabilitate uh, Tarverdian's reputation, but if anybody can, it's that kid. He is so dynamic. His hand speed is ridiculous. His timing is good. His setups are good. He's well-rounded. There's still a lot of questions to be asked, though, about him. Not questions like, oh, I saw some bad stuff, but rather, I've just not seen enough stuff. I've seen him go the distance. I've seen him wrestle. That's good. But let me give you an example. Um, I haven't seen him against, you know, what, ha- what happens when he gets hurt? Does he fold, you know? Uh, what happens when someone really backs him up? Now, he's very good about backing opponents up, but what happens when the reverse happens? Does he, you know, because I think what you've seen now in the cases of Marlon Moraes and some other fighters, if you can really get in their face and you can really back them up, their style is exhausting and they're not the same fighters as they are when they open up. They're, they're dynamos when they're early, but if you, give them, if you don't give them space, they're very, very different. What, what happens to him when, when, when that's a situation? And there could be a series of other questions. You know, when he, was, when he was wrestling, he was doing all the offensive wrestling. What happens when someone's really in his face pushing him back? How does he respond? And so the question is um, not does he deserve another good fight. Yes, of course he does. I like, you know, Derek Brunson as a fight for him maybe. But, but rather, dude, here's the reality about MMA. Eventually somebody is going to put it on you. And what happens when they do? What do you learn about somebody? Not really their character, but about their technical ability and how the two intertwine. There's still a lot we don't know about Edmund. I mean, everything we've seen so far has been, you know, Italian chef kisses fingers. Good, but still a lot to to go on. Why hasn't anyone used the jab like GSP over Josh Koscheck? Because the jab, while the most important punch, certainly in boxing and one of the most important strikes in MMA, is hard to get good at and people just aren't very good at it. And it takes time to get good at it. GSP has a very, very good jab. What's the benefit of the jab? I mean, you could go on forever. It could sting and and, and break your face. Um, you can change angles off of it. You can use it for a feint. You can use it to hide punches behind. Uh, you can use it to hide strikes behind. Um, you can use it to not really change angles, but then to, to set up another attack. Um, you can use it to... Um, put yourself back in the appropriate combat-ready position in certain situations. It's got a million different values, but people just aren't very good at it because they got to go learn jiu-jitsu, and they want to kickbox, and sometimes they just want to throw down on those gloves. It, you know, GSP had the, uh, the natural ability and then the intellectual wherewithal to be like, I'm going to invest in these like – one of the things about GSP that doesn't get enough credit is like he invested in very, very foundational skills. I'm going to get, like, a lights-out double leg, and I'm going to switch it to a knee-tap on at UFC 100 when Tiago Alves defends it, you know, peak Tiago Alves. Like, that kind of shit, that kind of shit, right? Um, And then a jab, and he had all his other stuff, too, but, like, he was, you know, he had had some, you know, minor uh, esoteric details, but he was very good about, like, things that are just very, very functional in a fight. I'm going to get really good at those. I think he's what he told himself, and uh, he did, and it mattered. Thoughts on Charles Oliveira? One of the most exciting submission artists in, in MMA history. And um, can't wait to see what's next. Maybe he gets a fight with, just with uh, Kevin Lee. We'll see. How would you like to see the sport evolve in skills? I would like to see fainting become bigger. I would like to see boxing skills become better. Man, I've been watching a lot of boxing recently and then going back and looking at, like, old Felix Trinidad fights and boxing tutorials. And I even went to a boxing gym here locally just to talk to a guy about some things. And, um, dude, when you begin to realize, like, the level of detail that those guys are good at that thing, which, granted, I'm not telling you boxing is the same as MMA. I'm not. But, like, how good their hands are. And you go and watch MMA, you're like, ooh. Buddy, you got a long way to go. Even like good strikers, you got a long way to go. Um, now, they don't need to use boxing, obviously, in the same way. There's a lot of differences. You go on forever. We've had this debate a million times, but uh, I do think that the boxing could get a lot better. A lot better. And I also wonder about whether there might be like a full circle moment because I've told you where we're kind of headed with some of this stuff. We're headed to the half position. Guys who just kind of get you know, waste control and then don't really do a whole lot with it, but it's dominant enough to win and stay out of trouble. They'll get on top to go to half guard. They get into the 50-50 in the clinch. They take one hook back, one hook back take, so they can bail if they need to, but it's good enough to to get the win. It's all these, like, series of half positions. And um, it's not very exciting, but it's incredibly dominant. It's good for winning. And if you got good cardio, it's not easy to, to maintain, but it's relatively easy to get good at. Relative to, well, uh, I keep using the word relative, but relative to developing a full-on mount and a full-on sc- array of skills from the back. Um, so, I think somebody coming full circle and then you know getting good at the foundational stuff, but then having an ace in the hole. I'm looking forward to seeing if someone can figure out a way to do that. That's so it's a big reason why Arasania is what he is. He's foundationally good at everything. But then he's especially good at certain things that the rest of MMA is just not good at. Among a number of things, rhythm changing, fainting, the whole idea. Eat the rich. I'm not going to read the rest of this. Uh, Sorry. Will media ask McGregor about New York Times allegations? Somebody will, I suspect. I mean, do do we really think they're going to go the whole week without saying something? But here's the thing. They're not going to do it. They might do it at media day, but they're not going to do it at a... Is there a presser? They're not going to do it at the presser. Because here's the thing, dude. There's going to be fans there, right? Can you imagine being like, uh, question for Connor? Connor, do you have a response to the New York Times allegations? Bro, you're going to get booed out of the room by his fans, and then you might even get, like, accosted later. Like, they're not going to do that there, which is why I don't like those press conferences, because it doesn't enable media to do the job they're supposed to be doing, which is that. But somebody will ask him. And look, here's what he'll say, in all likelihood. uh, Not something I can talk about right now. Sorry and then they'll just move on it's not actually here's the funny part about it people are making it a big deal because it's so taboo to like ask a fighter about shit like this that people are just never used to doing it uh but it's not that big a deal unless he's a total dumbass which he's not he will not give a good answer he will give a very uh, simple quick terse let's move along kind of answer and you can understand why he would because the laws there in, in Ireland and that'll be the end of it that'll be the end of it uh it, that's all it ever should be, but, um, but because everyone is, like, constantly fucking walking on eggshells in this business, because no one wants to offend anybody, because Lord knows what might happen if you offend somebody. I- again, dude, you want, it's so funny that this industry, it, like, parades itself as, like, the toughest. There are, there are, you've never seen people more sensitive in your life, and this is true for fighters, media, promoters, everybody in the entire ecosystem. Dude, snowflakes. Everywhere. You can't believe how sensitive people are in this industry. You can't believe it. And I gather that this is a serious thing. Like, hey, dude, some fucking serious allegations in this New York Times. But like the mere like the temerity to ask that like it's some kind of like it would be the first question they ask at an N- NBA press or if it was Kobe Bryant. It'd be the first one. You know. It, 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 MMA is full of very sensitive people. You cannot you just can't you can't. You don't think that that's true from the outside looking in. It's the truest thing I've learned about about it's a, it's an honor culture. Like, what did you say, sir? I must now defend my honor in a town duel at the see what high noons, sir. Where everyone's talking like foghorn leghorn. Salute the uh, salute for the mace story, bro. I lived it. Thank you. Um, and then lastly, we'll move on from this. Thoughts on Ricky Gervais's monologue? I liked it. Um, I liked it a lot. I mean, here is the, here's, there's just one thing about it that I thought was a little bit weird. Not the monologue itself, which was great. I watched it live. I thought it was hilarious. And it's always fun that you, you know, stick it to these people who are utterly stayed and, you know, live in these ivory towers and seem otherwise disconnected from um, the life of the average person. And, you know, they go on blathering about, well, the Russell Crowe thing about the fires in Australia I thought was pretty fair, actually. I mean, the guy is Australian, for fuck's sake. Like, everybody there is entitled to be worried about it. Everyone here is entitled to be worried about it, especially if you're Australian. So, like, I didn't mind that. Actually, I thought that was great. Um, You know, but uh, in any event. But the Ricky Gervais thing, here's the one thing that kind of got me a little bit, like, about it. Did I find it funny? Yeah. To the point where we replayed some of the monologue on my radio show, which uh, I I thought was great. But there was this weird reaction on Twitter. Like, I put up this story yesterday. I found it. It was like, it was like, local man um, fights off fifth. Local man high on meth fights off 15 cops while masturbating. It's a hilarious headline. There were like people who were like, who were like so into what Ricky Gervais had to say, like sticking it to celebrities. It felt like they were high on meth, just fucking, ah. Like it's like okay, dude, I like the monologue, but I, I don't hate those people. I mean, I don't, I don't know them. You know what I mean? Like, well, okay, did you guys see Tom Hanks' son Chet? I mean, this guy's just an abject failure in every way. But okay, he sucks. But he's like Malibu's most wanted. But yeah, you know, I, I mean, yeah, dude, stick it to the, dude, stick it to these celebrities. I'm saying it out loud. I don't mind. But I didn't have some reaction where I was pulling my pants down. And treating my body like an amusement park, I just was like, "Yeah, it's super funny." That's, I'm, you know, really, really, I'm really glad he sticks it to those folks. But there were people who were like, "Dude, it like made their year." Like, yeah, fuck those people, <laughs> fuck them, fuck those losers. And I'm always like, chill. They make good movies. Just let it be. Shit, what are you all so angry about, man? Good Lord. Uh, lastly, and I'll end on this. What was and is the perception of Kirk Cousins in D.C.? I live in Minnesota, and I'm a huge Vikings fan. And I feel like people are finally starting to warm up to him. Well, he had that nice win, obviously, in, um, in against the Saints, which kind of broke my heart a little bit. I mean, you know what? I'll tie it back a little bit. Um... What was this one person say the UFC announced UFC 246 is a sellout? Absolute bullshit! As you can still get tickets on every agent for cheaper than what they started. Too much push for this disgrace of a man for my beloved Ireland. I'll have to look into that. I don't know what the situation is for that one. But as it relates to Kirk Cousins, and we'll end on this one because I got I got to go play my radio show. But um, by the way, isn't it weird that like when I did the 90 minutes on my previous iteration of the live chat, I would like crawl to the finish line. And on this one, I could easily keep going. It's kind of wild. I don't know what the difference is, man. I just feel like I'm in a, maybe I'm in a better mood these days. I don't know. It's completely crazy. The last thing I'll say about Kirk Cousins is that I remember national pundits like bomani Jones being like, dude, Kirk Cousins is just as good. Uh, or, and no, no, no worse, no better than RG3, I think is what it was. Like, they're basically equivalent. Like, dude, what a fucking galaxy brain take from that guy. I mean, Kirk Cousins always had his problems. He had a bit of that like Rex. Um, God, what the fuck was his name? Uh, I remember it was the era of uh, John Beck and uh, who was the quarterback from the University of Florida? Rex, what's his face? I can't even remember his name now. You know, that guy just had a turnover gene, like he just cannot stop turning the ball over. He had that for a while, but then you would notice these moments of brilliance. And yes, it was often late yardage too. But sometimes he would have this like real upside about making reads on the defense. And like here's the other part about him. He had what RG3 never had, which was total humility about his limits and about what it was required to get better. You can just tell that there was more to build on there than there was with RG3, whose body was already wrecked at that point. You know, Dude, RG3 was good about when he was good about making the run and screens. And it's really about it, man. He was RG screen. Anyway, the point being is Kirk Cousins is never going to be the quarterback I think you guys really want him to be. But he's, I saw y'all's defense. They're pretty fucking good. He's good enough to win with if he's, if he's, if he's on his game. He's good enough to win with. And that's, that'll keep you in the majors. Um, God. All right. How do you think Connor's change in style will affect him in the fight versus Bow? That's what this person wrote. We're going to have to see. I can't really answer that one because I need to go. And um, I don't know what that means. All right. I appreciate everyone watching today thank you so much give the video a thumbs up subscribe to the channel we will do the live chat next week in some form I gotta go see how the internet is I'm staying in a nice place that apparently has good internet we'll see either way we'll figure out some kind of way to do this so just be patient uh, at a bare minimum I'll record ahead of time and then upload and we can go from there but um yes th- it will roll on there's no break in the action so have a good weekend enjoy yourself Stay safe. Be cool to others. Don't drink and drive. Um, Tell your friends about this podcast. And until next time, stay frosty.